Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. I want to say this before I introduce Commissioner Kenneth Hodder to discuss the Salvation Army's commitment to providing service. I I want to stop for a minute. And here's what I want to say. I grew up as a kid in New York City. I was also homeless in New York City. And I will tell you that out of everything I remember about those cold winters, about being on the streets, I will tell you, you never forget ever the red kettle. You just don't. And when you are there and you're in a situation, not only do you understand how important it is, but you really understand the commitment that the Salvation Army has made to help people. It is It is embedded in your very being. And today we're talking with Ken to tell all of you as the national commander, the Salvation Army, the commissioner, that the Salvation Army has never quit, never stopped. From me being a kid to remembering that to ending up needing their services, okay, you never forget. Commissioner Ken, great to have you. Thank you for taking this message out. Uh, Thank you so much, Pat. It's an honor to be with you today. And uh, I must say I'm humbled and moved by your testimony today. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. Memorable is an understatement. But let's just talk about where we are, because people don't really quite get it. Now, how many, how many, how many television shows about Christmas do we see the kettle? I, I mean, go, go to the city, go to where you are. We see it. But yet we don't understand the power and the meaning behind the organization. Tell us about that. Oh, uh, thank you so much for asking that question. The kettle is a holiday season icon. There's no doubt about it. The tradition is about 133 years old. We now have annually about 25,000 kettles scattered around the country, manned by volunteers who are giving of their time. And without those kettles, Pat, the Salvation Army not only could not help at winter Uh, in the winter months, but the the money from those kettles lasts for the coming year as well. So it all stays local. It all meets immediate needs. It's a vital part of what the Salvation Army does. It's a vital part of what we do for each other as neighbors. Uh, it's It's a critical and a very wonderful thing. 
Well, I want to talk about the effectiveness and efficiency of the organization, if I could. Um, And I don't want to take a lot of time with my story, but I know firsthand. I know firsthand. But unlike a lot of organizations we hear about, you all are really in such a great ratio, an 82% ratio, 82 cents for every dollar goes directly to funding the Salvation Army Initiative. That you don't get to that place overnight. That had to take blood, sweat, and tears to make your this organization that efficient and effective. How did you do it? Well, the Salvation Army has from its inception valued stewardship. Uh, Salvation Army officers, those who wear the uniform, uh, do not receive a salary. We don't receive wages. We receive a small allowance, and that allowance is set nationally. Uh, So there are no large salaries paid to Salvation Army officers. We always ensure that our funds are uh, uh, remaining local so that they are immediately available for immediate local needs. In other words, we take all the measures that you would expect us to take to remain as efficient, as lean and as effective as we possibly can. Let's talk a little bit about how people can donate. I want to, I don't want to wait to the end of this. I want people to know that this is something that they can do now. And then we're going to talk about what you actually do for local communities, because I think a lot of times we're under the, the, that we're under the notion that this is really more global, but there is a local drip that mm. happens. There's something important. But before we do that, how do people donate? Let's get right to that. If we could, Commissioner. Of course, uh, we encourage people if they see a Salvation Army kettle to drop a dollar or two in. If they can't do that, they don't have the cash. The sign above the kettle will now show that people can give through Google Pay and Apple Pay and PayPal and Venmo. They can go online and give at SalvationArmyUSA.org. They can give through k- cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum. They can text the word kettles to 51555. In other words, there are lots of ways uh, that people can give to the work of the Salvation Army. Uh, They could also go to the Salvation Army USA website, right? Yes. uh, yes, I think that's give.salvationarmyusa.org. Is that correct? That is correct. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what? I got to tell you, I think all these ways are great, but there's nothing like taking whatever that dollar, $10, whatever that bill is, and putting it in that kettle. There's something so energetically perfect about it. But I want to talk to you about this idea that, first of all, you're a global organization, but communities, local communities, has they have always been a priority for you, haven't they? Uh, Absolutely. The Salvation Army is in 134 countries around the world, but our focus is always local. Because we want to ensure that we remain as flexible and as innovative as we possibly can so that in one community, if the need is housing, we're able to help with that. In another community, if it's food, we're able to help with that. We exist simply to help help people in every conceivable way. And that means we have to be quick on our feet and responsive. And that's why the emphasis on local needs is always a priority for us. All right. I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. I mean, for me, I came home one day and I found everything on the lawn. I was 17 years Mm -hmm. old and I came home and 
whatever belongings I had were on the lawn. Now, fast forward to where we are today. The rise in evictions is we're not even reporting all of these because, first of all, it's it's hard for people to report it. They're embarrassed. But this is happening and it's happening off of three years of the pandemic and so many people really struggling. You all, though, help with this. Can you talk about what you do to provide rent and utilities as well? Pat, that's a terrific, a terrific point. We found after the uh, financial decline in 08. Oh, yeah. That the biggest needs emerged in 09. 10 and 11, because it had a long economic tail. Well, the pandemic has a long economic tail as well. The inflation that people are encountering now is causing all kinds of difficulties with respect to rent and to utilities. Uh, The resumption of student loan payments is pressuring their budgets. So all of these things are causing people to find themselves in extraordinarily difficult situations, and they're coming to the Salvation Army. It's because people give at the kettle that the Salvation Army is able to help. So I would I would want to say today, if there's anyone who is listening uh, in the Northwest area and they have difficulties, I know that the leader of the Salvation Army there in the Northwest, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Cindy Foley, is eager to help. Call the Salvation Army. Let's see if there's something that we can do to assist you, because the economic impact that we're seeing now could have a huge impact, not only on the people who are suffering, but upon their children. You mentioned the fact, Pat, that you remember this experience. We don't want children in the long term to suffer as a consequence of the problems that their parents have to face now. So that's why the Salvation Army is eager to do something about it. And I want to just talk about this for a minute. It's the largest social services organization in the U.S., but more importantly, I think 7,000 centers, 24 million people each year. Um, I, I want to really talk to our listeners today for a moment, if we could, Commissioner. <clears throat> and I want to say this. Children and infants should not be hungry. Yes. They should not. Not in this country. Mm. It is really... And I know it's hard for you all. I've worked at food centers. I've worked at, you know, providing food, right? You know, when a center that provides infant food runs out of infant food, there's something seriously wrong, Commissioner. And I want to ask you, it is hard for people to ask for help, but your doors are open, aren't they? Our doors are always open. Indeed, Pat, it's the reason we wear the uniform. We wear the uniform because we want people to see that there is someone that they can identify who is there to help them. Don't blame yourself. Don't think that there's no one who will care. Don't think that you should be embarrassed. Come to the Salvation Army. Call the Salvation Army. Mm -hmm. We're here because we care about you. We believe in uh, the fact that God loves you and cares for you, and we want to help you do everything possible to not only meet your needs, but the needs of your family to grow and to thrive in every way. And I want to make sure you all go to SalvationArmyUSA.org, SalvationArmyUSA.org. I want to ask you, as you look ahead here, we're getting ready for the holiday season. I bet you you folks are busier than you've ever been. Um As you look ahead, you all have always had a vision for the future. Uh, 
Uh, I know that because I was part of receiving some of your services when I was younger, but you have a vision for the future. You look ahead and you see what's coming. How are you ramping up to meet the needs that we have here in the United States? There are certain needs that we see emerging right now that we think we're going to be dealing with in the next few years. One of them is loneliness. The sense that we are not connected to one another. It's vital that the Salvation Army do what he can, not only to meet physical needs, but to build connections in community, to ensure that people are not lonely and isolated, because those emerging trends do not bode well for individuals, they don't bode well for our society, they don't bode well for the world. And that's the kind of thing we're going to be looking at addressing in the years to come. I am so glad to hear you say that. I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I got to tell you, uh, just one segment of the population, we have some of the best, I don't even think they call them senior centers anymore, but we have some of the best of them there. And what I mean by that, these are places they've opened up where people can come, the Carl Gibson Center up in Everett, everything from table tennis to communities, to holidays, to watching football. But it is the kind of thing that you don't see everywhere. And loneliness is at epidemic. It's at an epidemic rate. So I am so glad to hear that you've got your eye on that, Commissioner. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I have to say parenthetically that one way that people can battle that loneliness is to get involved in their community. Absolutely. To, to volunteer. Studies are now showing, Pat, and you probably know this far better than I, that if you want to improve someone's sense of well-being, it's not about turning within to look inside yourself, but rather to help someone else. That that is going to be the means by which you can improve your own uh, sense of uh, meaning and purpose and uh, direction. It's a powerful thing. So this year, if you can help the Salvation Army, we'd love to have you do so. And throughout the coming year, there will be lots of opportunities to volunteer. I love it. And please, let's keep that in mind. Commissioner, thank you. I have one last question. And again, please give out the website. I would love to know your personal message. What do you want to leave us with today? And thank you for being out here and doing what you're doing. The message that I would give has to be the one that lies at the foundation of the Salvation Army, Pat. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christmas, for me, is the arrival of our Savior. And that is the greatest reason for hope in the world. That's the message I would want to leave. And I would invite all of your uh, uh, listeners to go to SalvationArmyUSA.org for all sorts of opportunities through which they can become involved. Thank you so much, Commissioner Kenneth Hodder. I'm Dr. Pat. Please pass this forward, pay it on and pay it forward. We'll see you next time.
what makes a coach irresistible, extraordinary, and successful? The Coaching Academy has graduated hundreds of students who have built the most fulfilling coaching businesses. That's because the Spiritual Life Coaching Certification, based on the proven formula, Rewire Your Brain for Success, is an innovative program designed to equip you with the knowledge and skills to support you in your journey of becoming an elite league coach. Inquire today by visiting coachingacademy.net. Does your life often feel like an emotional tsunami where rogue waves crash down on you, leaving you feeling hopeless and wondering if it will ever end? Do you wish to awaken the dormant strength inside of you? Imagine what it would be like to turn your pain into purpose. Start today by scheduling a complimentary consultation with Martinet. Dive into your healing journey and begin to see your life in a new light. Visit martineemmons.com and make your appointment today. Are you affected by addiction and struggling to find hope? You don't have to feel this way anymore. Welcome to the peace we crave. Find your freedom in addiction recovery with me, your host, Tanya Day. There is hope. As a spiritual life recovery coach, I use a unique holistic approach of meditation, Reiki energy and sound healing, and spiritual life transformation to help you find peace and serenity. If you are sick and tired of feeling sick and tired and have had enough, I get it. I've been there and I can provide a listening and sympathetic ear. Creating calm in your recovery is possible. If you are ready for help and hope towards your freedom in recovery, join into the Peace We Crave show with me as I help you find your freedom in addiction recovery. It all starts now. Hey, everybody, I'm Dr. Pat, and I get to do this fabulous show with the most amazing Tonya D. Um, look, I want to make sure this, this particular topic is such an important one. You know, we're going to be talking about self-compassion and sobriety, and it's almost like that's an oxymoron. It's almost like it's very difficult to pair those two things up. But you've created an entire community to do this, and I want to make sure everyone knows you know, you're available to coach people, you're available in the groups that you form. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? And I want to make sure we do that throughout the show today. Thank you so much, Dr. Pat. Yep. Tanya D, uh, thepeacewecrave.com is the best way to get a hold of me. You can find me there also all over social media at The Peace We Crave. Um, let's talk about my comment to you about self-compassion and sobriety. Because I think that one of the most difficult things to do or to find um, is when you are in recovery, it's hard to find something good about yourself, right? Let's just start with that. Um, and then we can talk about self-compassion. The reason that this is such a prominent topic and or conversation is because so many people don't understand that just because somebody puts down the drug or the drink, that their life is so happy. And, you know, I had somebody say to me the last week, okay, I'm going to repeat it, but it's not something we often say. <laughs> they said to me, you never told me that early recovery, early recovery would be the place where happiness died. And I said, I looked at and I said, no, it hasn't died. It just hasn't awakened yet. And I think that's what we're talking about. But people don't understand just because you stop or you make that important decision, that does not mean 
that you know how to care for oneself. Talk about self-compassion and what you've discovered about it. And am I right about that? I mean, I kind of jumped to a conclusion here based on my recent experience, but what's your experience? Um, yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, I often tell people the first year sucks. Um, it's just because, because at least in my experience with it, I was learning how to do everything again for the first time. I think we talked about this before, but you know, the yeah. first, my first birthday and my first, you know, holidays and all these things I'm like learning how to do without picking up a substance. And it's, yeah. it's hard. It's really hard. And bringing that self-love and that self-compassion in for yourself is, is equally as hard because I don't know about you, Dr. Pat, but like when I was using, like, I didn't really give a crap about myself. I wasn't loving on myself. I was like, you know, whatever. And, and then when I'm now in a, in a space where I'm able to turn the the table and say, oh, wow, like I can really care for myself here. How the heck do I do that? It's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And I know you're going to talk about this and I don't know if we're going to get a chance to talk about it during this show, but part of the work you do isn't just simply to have conversations like this. You know, the work that you do is help people live the life they truly deserve. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. So when we're talking about the peace we crave, we are talking about having a place that you can go. And no matter what is going on around you, you can find that peace inside. Now, let's talk about self-compassion because, you know, what everybody may be saying, that sounds like so far-fetched. And I have to tell you, with my years of sobriety, as I'm sitting here with you at 33 years of sobriety, I want to tell you that there are moments that I I was sitting here an hour ago, I, I swear, an hour ago, and I had my head in my hand and Linda's trying to talk to me, right? She's getting ready. And I wanted to take a break from a very early day, right? I just wanted a break. I crave that peace, but I'm looking for it on the outside. See, and when you have a moment like that, you realize, no, it's not going to be a Netflix or it's not going to be this or it's not going to be that. There are ways that we can come back, but we cannot come back if we don't care for ourselves. So tell us about self-compassion and the journey for you and what you're going to share with people today that is more than important than anybody talks about in this process. I I absolutely agree with that. You have said it so, so beautifully um, because it's all been about the relationship that I've cultivated with myself. And I had no relationship with myself when I was using, I had no relationship with myself even before I started using, I probably why I started using, I, I had no clue. I know clue that um, that I could have such a it's really hard to describe sometimes, but such a really beautiful relationship with myself. And and from that relationship with myself, that's where that peace comes. That's where I'm able to sit in the middle of some of the worst situations you can think of and be well, not OK, not like great, and wonderful, but I can be there. I can be present. I can just be. And I don't have to participate in the chaos. <laughs> You're familiar with that. I don't have to go off and, you know, start screaming and yelling at people or start acting all kinds of crazy or anything like that. I can just be there. I can be um, the kind of person that shows up for a good friend, the kind of person that shows up for myself. So when I talk about self-compassion, it's it's the relationship with myself. And a lot of times it's treating myself as I would treat a good friend. 
You know, yeah. if somebody came to you and they said, oh, I'm so sad and I don't understand. And this one doesn't like me. And this one said this and this one said that you go, oh, oh, you poor thing. That's so horrible. I love you. You're wonderful. Don't listen to them. But if you turn the table on yourself, how badly do you talk to yourself? How badly do you look in the mirror and go, you're a piece of crap. Why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Oh, blah, 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 blah. You would never say that to a good friend. But we say that to ourselves. We do. And I, I, I'm telling you that, that what you're talking, I want to tell everybody, Google the rice experiment, R-I-C-E experiment. Come on, people, because we're not fooling around with this. Because if I could gather thousands and thousands of people in recovery, this is something that I would show them. Google it, Dr. Emoto, who I had the honor of interviewing, but watch the rice experiment and you'll see the power of these words now. The Rice Experiment doesn't really touch upon the fact that even though we're talking these words out of jar of rice, it's the same impact when we talk to it. And you don't look, let's just be very clear. We don't have to say them out loud for us to process those negative things about ourselves. And they are the farthest from self-compassion. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, uh, when it comes to my personal self-compassion practice, it's when I look in the mirror. That's that was the those were the times when I looked in the mirror when I said, oh, you're a piece of this. You're this. You're that. The way I would talk to myself. Oh, my gosh. Nobody would talk to me that way. Nobody. And now after putting this practice into place, I this is going to sound a little odd, but I have some of the most beautiful conversations with myself um, that are so uplifting and they're so amazing. And it's I can have those in any moment at any given time, no matter what's going on around me. I have this beautiful practice. I love self-compassion is the first step to, to gratitude for oneself. And we like to talk about gratitude a lot. And we talk about gratitude for the things outside of ourselves, but we rarely talk about gratitude when it comes to being grateful for who we are. And that, you know, I call it the second step. Some people tell me that it's not the second. They say I'm a little bit too aggressive with that. Um, They say it's a third step, but no, I don't want to. You know, I think it's a second step and the ultimate step is self-love. But you have to start with the self-compassion. Let's just break this down for people if we could. We do have to give ourselves some important encouragement, but we say things to ourselves under our breath or even out loud. And sometimes all we need is somebody to plant the seed of just how much of a loser we are. And we go down the rabbit hole, don't we? And isn't that what you're trying to help people with? Look, there may be things said to you, but man, what if you could turn that rabbit hole into just beautiful clouds to land on? We Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I can't stress enough how horrible we are to ourselves. I mean, I I've heard it so many times. I I know it to be true. And uh, when I bring in these concepts of self compassion and everything I do with the peace we crave, people just go, "Really? I can do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And it's so simple, right? It's such a simple, simple thing for us complicated people. Um, and it's it's something that we can do all the time at any yeah. given time every day. It's just, it's such a beautiful process. But you see, you can teach it because you've learned it and you've rocked it. And this is something that not only do we not teach it, you know, inside of recovery, we don't teach it outside of recovery. But I want to ask you this question, because you said something seriously important. It is so much easier 
to set our goals and reach our goals through a position of self-compassion and self-gratitude than it is for self-loathing and resentment, right? We're talking polar opposites on some kind of scale, but resentment towards ourselves, a lot of times it's a showstopper. We can't think straight. We forget about writing a goal. You can't even write the goal, let alone keep it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I see it a lot when people relapse and they come back and all these things and they're so down on themselves. And I said, no, but you have this beautiful experience you had before in recovery. Like, you know it, you have it. No one can take that from you. Nobody. So, yeah, so trying to bring that in, even in those instances, it's, yeah, it's very difficult because you're in that space where you can't even look at anything else. But let's talk about like your journey. You've set a beautiful organization up, The Peace We Crave. You're helping people all over the world. You're having these kinds of conversations. And yet none of that would even be possible if you didn't take that first step, if you didn't really take a look at yourself and say, I can be a little bit nicer to myself. But talk about the research outside of this for self-compassion and what they say about it. So they indicate that self-compassion is one of the most powerful sources of coping and resilience that we have to ourselves. And it radically improves our mental and physical well-being. Um, uh, get a lot of this stuff from Dr. Krista Neff and all of her research. She is just amazing and has really brought a lot of this stuff to light. And I think a lot of um, maybe different organizations and religions and things like that have kind of had these concepts, but she just beautifully brings together that whole process of turning inward and treating yourself as if you are as a good friend. Yeah. Good. And, you know, let's just break this down. So people don't like to call self-compassion, self-love. I'm okay with that. I think self-compassion is the first step. Like I said before, self-compassion, self-gratitude, self-love. It's like three steps, right? For me, it was. I couldn't I couldn't get to the whole self-love thing right away. I'm sorry. Yeah, that I just, agree. It was very <laughs> difficult. I agree. But I could understand when I'm working with a coach, like you work with people, and you say something to them like, wait a minute, this is powerful. And you explain to them how powerful it is in coping and in resilience and offered them one thing to do. See, this is what I love. Self-compassion is also practical at certain levels, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's very practical, very easy. Um, the way it's laid out is just it, anybody can get behind this. It, it doesn't discriminate. It's, it's just open to everybody, kind of like recovery is, which is yeah. why I probably glommed onto it so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about this for a minute, though, during, you know, when you're active and you're actively using um, some of that research, I think, points to the fact that the self is lost. I mean, right. Isn't that why why you go down the pathway? We go to a pathway of using and drinking and gambling. I mean, there's so many places we go. Uh, food addiction is right up in front, but it gives us a comfort factor that takes us away from ourselves, doesn't it? Yeah. And we don't have to feel we numb out. We don't have to you know, deal with all whatever that whatever that underlying stuff is that's making us do that. We don't even look right. at it. We just totally push it away. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a very, very short break, like 30 seconds. And when we come back, uh, Tanya's going to take us down the pathway of how do you develop this? Now, you heard us joking a little bit about it, but, you know, I can look back and so can you look back now down the scale and we can laugh a little bit about it. You know, because we remember the first time somebody said that to, to us. And uh, if you were like me, you just wanted to grab them by the ears or something. But when we come back, 
you know, Tanya's going to take us through how do you develop self-compassion. Before we do that, though, tell us about the website. How do people get a hold of you? How do they find you in community? And for and I just want to say this. Also mention to people, even if you're not in the, the, the realm of being an addict or an alcoholic, you know somebody, please pay this forward. How do they find you? Yeah, uh, thepeacewecrave.com, uh, all of social media at thepeacewecrave. And yeah, I do have a, a very a good significant amount of clients who are just affected by addiction, who have a loved one of some yep. sort who are in addiction recovery. So yeah, so you don't, everybody. I mean, the, this, the work that you do, and I want to be clear about it, may, we might not have been clear about it, this is not only for people in addiction and recovery. This is for people that know people. Mm-hmm. This is a community of selves and souls. And that's what Tanya's doing. Let's take a short break. When we come back, can you develop self-compassion? Crystal Coach Show, sharing clarity, guidance, and practical wisdom with me, Anahata, every first and third Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on TransformationTalkRadio.com. On The Crystal Coach Show, we channel divine wisdom through stories of service, spirituality, and stones for self-care. Feel connected and reside in the vibration of love. For more information and to connect with me, visit TheCrystalCoach.com. That's TheCrystalCoach.com. Are you struggling with body image, aging, or grief? Hi, I'm Dr. T, and here to support you through life's challenging experiences. I specialize in offering valuable insights into the unique struggles and triumphs that accompany these sensitive topics. My expertise and compassionate approach ensure that you will feel supported and understood. Learn how you can receive guidance tailored to your specific needs and concerns. Visit me, Dr. T, at ccwithdrt.com. Are you feeling exhausted and overwhelmed? Imagine waking up each day with confidence and energy. Dr. Rachel Sweet is a highly skilled epigenetic precision wellness coach to guide you towards enhancing your sleep, nutrition, and movement. Her book, Expressive Origins, holds the key to discovering that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to health and wellness. Let Dr. Rachel Sweet help you design a new lifestyle for your best living. Visit drrachelsweet.com today. Hey, everybody, welcome back. Tanya D. I'm Pat B. And guess what we're talking about? We're talking about the peace we crave. And we do. And it's hard to describe what that means. But that phrase, that is such a beautiful way you're taking this message out here. The peace we crave. We crave it. You know, we crave it from the moments we don't even know we're craving it. You know, when we're sloshing down alcohol or taking a little bit more, take another hit of whatever we're taking, we crave it. But we don't know any other way at the moment except to numb ourselves. Now, let's talk about self-compassion, because if you treat yourself the way many of us have during our addictions, there isn't very little of self-compassion in there. We can't even touch on self-love because you just wouldn't do it. But let's talk about how you develop it. I asked you before, can it be developed? Yes. 
Yes, it can, which is amazing, <laughs> right? <laughs> like a spiritual practice in recovery, right? Like you can right. totally develop it. It's great. Right. Yeah. Right. But you're right. Let's let's stay with that because self-compassion is a spiritual practice. It has oh, to be. It ha- and yeah. we're not telling you what spiritual practice that is or what it, we're not telling you what to believe. Don't we're not just not that show. But whatever you do, whether it's walking in the park, whether it's, you know, who, who knows what you do. You're going to go in a desert. I'm thinking of going to Peru myself. But, you know, whatever that is, whatever that is, that walk you take in peace is a spiritual practice, isn't it? So yeah. how do we get people started, right? How do, how do we get to self-compassion so we can end the suffering? Yeah, and that that is so, I'm so glad you brought up the word suffering um, because, Unfortunately, I don't know if people know this, but human life is full of suffering and we can't really actually get away from it. It's always going to be there. And that's something that took me a while to get behind because I was like, I don't want to suffer anymore. I want everything to be great all the time. And it's just it's unfortunately just isn't. There's moments that are amazing. And I try to stay in those moments. But the suffering is going to happen because I'm still living this human life on this planet in this plane. So um and, and to me, developing the practice of self-compassion is so difficult um, because I often try to help people in the way of thinking about one thing that causes them suffering. And a lot of people go, but I have like 20 million things. I can't think of one. <laughs> so I'm like, well, think of a resentment. Think of think of something, right? Get, get, get one thing there. And then say to yourself, oh, this is a moment of suffering. And some people like to put a hand on the heart or, you know do some other type of like maybe hug themselves something like yeah. that you know and this is suffering is a part of life yeah it's gonna happen I can't get away from it let's just talk a little bit about the the process here for a minute yeah. and you know to treat ourselves like you would say a good friend one of the things that you find in a lot of programs and and I'm talking about the traditional 12-step programs is there's a process you go through and part of that process is doing an inventory of self and it is a significantly important process, but it is not the process, at least the way that I use it, it's not the process to make you feel like you are the sludge of the earth. Yes, we have to take a look at our lives. We have to really look at what we've done and who we've done it to and be able to do something about that in some way, even if it's simply a few words. That is one of the most difficult things to do because we've been running away from looking at that and here we are in recovery and it is a pathway to freedom and shedding the shackles of resentment how do you help people through that how do you help them see oneself as a good friend um yeah the the idea that i can don't have to talk to myself in those horrible ways like we mentioned before that's talking right. to myself as I would talk to a good friend. What would I say in that moment? What I would listen to the person. I would give them space. I would let them feel their feelings. You know, they're not facts, right? But then I can feel them. And I, w- I wouldn't tell my friend to stop crying. I wouldn't tell my friend to stop being upset. I would never do that. I would say, yeah, just feel what you're feeling and let's let's be here. Why can't I do that for myself? Why can't I try to bring mm. that in for myself? Especially mm-hmm. with the inventory you just mentioned, Dr. Pat, that's great. Cause that, I mean, what a great time to practice this, to learn that's how to, right. that's where I first started learning how to do this. When mm-hmm. I had to write all those causes and conditions down and really look at that stuff, it was really difficult, but at the same time, it was so freeing. Oh, it and was. I, yeah. Know that 
this is a part of my recovery. This is a part of my life. This is how it's going to be. And it's not always going to be this way all the time. And also not judging myself. Um, I wouldn't judge a good friend, right? I'm not going to judge my, try not to judge myself for these things and allow myself to feel these feelings. And it also brings me to a place of acceptance rather than like guilt or fear or shame or anything like that. And I'm practicing my self-compassion, especially with that whole inventory process. And also allowing me to pause, really letting myself see what's going on and then giving myself the compassion at that time. So that's how we were talking before about moving from uh, self-compassion, the self-gratitude, then the self-love. It really, it really is a critical part of our journey, this daily practice. And it's a way for me to be more um, gentle with myself and really cultivate that kind of relationship with myself. So then when times of suffering do come up, I'm then able to approach it uh, way differently. And it's just, it's just become such a critical part of my recovery journey. And uh, just, just one more piece on this. If uh, anybody is still um, kind of not sure about this, there's a lot of information about self-compassion out there. Um, feel free again to reach out to me at the, the peacewecrave.com. I'm here to help you with this and with this really important step you can take in your recovery and also any of the social media outlets, you can find me for sure. And also, if you look up Kristen Neff's work, you'll find a plethora of information about self-compassion and the kind of things that you can do in order to um, try to cultivate that in your life. Sorry for that little snafu. And I think we're going to take a little extension here and keep going. Uh, probably the topic was too hot for my uh, laptop. Um, look, along the way, it's one thing to learn about something, and then it's another thing to teach something. And that's what you're doing. And I want to take a minute for you to talk about where you sit, what you do, your purpose, and your passion. And I think when people listen to shows like this, what happens sometimes is they hear you and they hear me and we're talking and we're laughing a little bit. And we're talking about something like self-compassion. And what may get lost, and I don't want it to get lost, what may get lost in the conversation is what the journey was like. Now, I will say this, without that journey to self-compassion, you end up in a little loop. Let's call it a hamster wheel. That makes sense? Know what a hamster is? Goes around Absolutely. the wheel? And self-compassion helps you get off the wheel. And this is what's so important in the work you do. This isn't just a show. It's not just a conversation. This is something you're committing your life to doing and helping and guide people along the way. Because without this, without self-compassion, the road to recovery is uphill, a lot of potholes that we don't need to have, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, you so beautifully said, as always, um, just how I could, I want to commit myself to this kind of work, because it's what helped me so much. It's what helped me. It helps me every day to maintain my sobriety, get one more day at a time. Um, and working with other people in this space, it's just, 
I can't even tell you how rewarding it is and how beautiful when people have aha moments and they start talking about this stuff. And then when I hear them talking about this stuff to other people and I'm like, oh my gosh, look how this is rippling out from this little conversation that we had. And then maybe they help somebody else. And then maybe this person, and then, then there's this beautiful recovery community and there's this beautiful space of people who are just trying to be better one day at a time. And it's just, it's just such a, such a lovely, lovely way to live. I was speaking to somebody recently, actually, she reached out to me and she said, oh my gosh, I've been sober a few months and this is, and I had a sober, my first sober birthday. And this is amazing. I can't, why did I wait so long? And I go, well, it happens when it happens. And yeah, it's just, she's just over the moon right now. And I, I just, I want that for everybody. I want everybody to feel like that. And you know, you're right about it. It happens when it does happen. And what what I really want to know is I want to spend a little bit more time. We're going to extend this conversation a little bit. We're going to go past the half hour uh, because it is so important. And I want to make sure we cover it. I don't know how to explain this. Maybe you're better at it than me because probably you are. You teach it. But I don't know how to explain the power of self-compassion let's let's give a couple of examples and then you jump in you see if i'm being okay so here you are you've been drinking and using like most of your life a lot of people like i don't know looking at myself right there you go but you have so many things you've never done sober i want to start here because you know where i'm going with this you've never danced sober right You've never gone out to dinner, not drinking. You probably have never made love, right? The list goes on and on and on and on. Vacation. I went to vacation down in Disney, and the first thing I looked for was a bar. They don't have bars in Disney. (laughs) I don't know if they do now. They don't. They didn't. But you see, these are the things. And so can we talk for a minute about the first steps? Because the first steps are seriously important. Remember I said to you, I couldn't get to self-love. I still work on this. But the peace we crave, that's the juice. To get to that peace, there's nothing like it. The first time you hit that dance floor, learning how to two-step. Without a drink. It's magical. Let's talk about some of these firsts. Because this is part of what you do. You help people get to their new first. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, I totally do. And being present for it. There's nothing like being present in that moment. I recall when I went to to the Grand Canyon recently. I can't imagine had I been drunk or out of my mind, I would have missed most of it. I wouldn't wouldn't have really been able to take in all the beauty of that. And even that moment when I'm when I'm at that first sober dance, right? And I'm actually dancing. It was very strange, I have to say. I was it was a little weird for me. But now I love it. And I, you know, I go places and I go to weddings and go to things and I'm dancing. And I don't I don't need to be inebriated in order to have a good time. And I remember all of it. That's the biggest, that's been the biggest gift for me is being present and really remembering things and remembering conversations and remembering these events and remembering the connections and really piecing together all that stuff 
in my life instead of going to five people and be like, oh, hey, what happened last night? What did I do? What did I say? What did I, 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 I'm there. I don't have to piece it back together yeah. at the end of the night. Like I'm, yeah. I'm very present. Look, I had a first. Can I share it with you? I, I'm back in New Jersey. I went to my high school reunion a couple of weeks. I know. Like, I, I mean, I have never gone back. I, this is my first. And it was a long, a long, many years one, right? And I got called by Gwen, Gwen Cruz calling me. Hey, man, we found you. You're going to come. And I happened to be in New Jersey. But I didn't want to go. And I found, and even at the last minute, Linda's trying to push me out the door, kind of like, what are you going to wear? What are you going to wear? But it was a first. Okay. See, it doesn't matter where you are in the journey. I don't care how many years you have. You are going to get first after first after first. But I had to really get in touch with the fact that I'm okay. It's going to be okay. I was a train wreck in high school. It's a blur to me. I don't remember half the people that remember me. Are you kidding me? I mean, these people thought I was dead. But I went. And even though I couldn't remember every nuance, I opened up the yearbook and I saw my favorite teacher who basically saved my life. Right? My principal, 93 years old, was the dude and his wife sitting next to me. I would have missed out on that because of the lack of self-compassion. And I have 33 years sober. I have way more clean. See, that's what we're talking about. That's what the peace we crave is. Aren't you here to help us not miss out on the so many firsts life has for us? And then the seconds and the thirds and all the, oh, all the other things, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, let's get a little silly. I don't know about you. I somehow thought that I could dance really well when I'm drinking, but that I would forget how to dance. <laughs> but see, did I do anything? I was like, I, okay. Like, Look, you're helping people carve a pathway so they can live the life they deserve. Just, you know, an addiction, illness, alcoholism. Go, you can, y'all can look it up, whatever, however you want to look it up. My history and my family, my mom was an alcoholic and an addict, killed herself when I was six. We could hold on to that or we could seek the peace we crave, Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, all the, the inventory and everything we were talking about before, right. I do all that stuff. So I'm not stuck in the past and I'm not stuck in all those things. And I'm, I'm coming at it from a place of those things helped me get to where I am. If I didn't have all those things happening to me, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of uh, self-compassion we talk about in the program too, acceptance. A lot of it's about acceptance. Mm -hmm. Look, there's so many things we can talk about, but I will tell you this about self-compassion and you know it because you and I are here. Self-compassion opened up the gateway for us to fill our true potential. See, and we don't talk about that enough. It is very difficult for you to fill any potential whatsoever of who you are meant to be or who you want to become if you don't think well of yourself. 
what would you like to leave us with? What are some of the things that we could give people practically to do today? What are some exercises? And I and believe me, I believe in the word exercise because I'm telling you, if you think this stuff comes natural to us, think again. It doesn't. It's exercise. It's yeah. work. But what would you suggest for people? Do you have anything you could share to get them yeah, started? Really simple. Just, you know, thinking of that thing that's causing you suffering, recognizing that it's causing you suffering. And then instead of beating yourself up about the suffering, talk to yourself in the way you think a good friend would talk to you. If you were to call your sponsor or your other network and what would they say to you? Maybe try saying that to yourself. Just yeah. try it. Try it. Yeah. Yeah. And do yourself a favor. Don't look in the mirror and tell yourself how bad your hair looks or, you know, I mean, just, you just got to stop. If you can't add something to your list, try stopping a few things, right? Yeah. Just try stopping. Um, tell us what you have on your radar. What are you planning to do? Tell us how people, people can get involved. Um, yeah, again, my website, thepeacewecrave.com. Um, I got, I have actually some really cool stuff coming up. I have some healing circles and some different groups I'm going to be forming. So, and it's all hybrid. So if you're local to where I am, or if you're online, like, come join us. We'd love to have you. And again, tell us about the social media groups, because you're very active in social media. Yeah, so at the Peace We Crave, um, I'm all over the place. You can find me on any platform. And I want to ask you this question because so often people listen to a show like this, but they don't realize that even if you're not in the category that we're talking about, you're not addicted to something. This is not just for a group of people. This is for all of us. You can get help. And if you know someone, please, the best thing you could do is show them a pathway to people that will love them despite their inability to love themselves right now. Don't you think that that's most powerful as well? Yeah, it is. And also helping yourself. Cause even if you're not the person in addiction, you, you need to, when that person is ready, you need to be able to help yeah. them. Right. So helping yourself become yeah. better. Too. Last question for you, personal message. What do you want to leave us with today? <laughs> All right. So um, I hope, I hope we've touched a little bit on self-compassion today. I hope it didn't scare people away. And I hope we gave some really, um, practical things to do but if you are still struggling you're trying to find hope and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired I can offer you a way I have hope for you you don't have to feel this way anymore just join me uh again my website thepeacewecrave.com all over social media and I can help you find peace and serenity in your addiction recovery and I want to add to that it doesn't matter what your past has been doesn't matter what you're doing in the moment None of that, that fades away so easily because when we sit and look at you, when we work with you, we see the beauty that you are. We know the journey that you're about to embark on. We know the journey you've been on. We don't know it in detail, but we know a version of it for ourselves. So from our hearts to your heart, please, the peace we crave, please get somebody help. Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much for today. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you all for tuning us in and turning us on. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Peace We Crave, Find Your Freedom in Addiction Recovery with me, your host, Tanya D on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in the first Monday of each month at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, as we take you on a spiritual life recovery coach journey and share unique holistic approaches. Let's stop struggling in recovery and restore hope. Join us for each show as we design a pathway to peace and serenity in addiction recovery. You don't have to struggle in recovery anymore. Let me help you find the peace we crave. 
For more information, visit thepeacewecrave.com.